This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network. Again, wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 102. I want to thank you once again for being with us, whether it's on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Be sure to like and subscribe and share this with your friends because they're probably wrestling fans too, and we want to build this community together. You can also join us each and every Thursday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube as part of TNT, the Thursday Night Throwdown. Chris Maloney and I discuss everything going on with wrestling and have excellent panelists that join us to insert their input, plus the occasional interview. So that's Thursday Night Throwdown happening each and every Thursday at 8 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube. I'll be right back. With this week's news. See the stars of tomorrow being built today at the Tyson Dukes Russell Factory each week on the production line, available on Facebook and YouTube. As listeners to the show would know, we usually open up the episode with independent wrestling news from here in Ontario. Obviously, that's not happening still with the pandemic and the economy has not yet been let open. So we are waiting for that opportunity to see what happens when it does and if uh, people will gather in groups uh, back in arenas or legions and gymnasiums or whatever for independent wrestling. So there's a lot to uh, look forward to. Hopefully things get better soon and we can do that. On that note, though, I'm going to look at what happened this week on Impact Wrestling and look forward to this Tuesday because they were scheduled to do a Rebellion pay-per-view. And unfortunately, because of the situation, they didn't actually do the pay-per-view. But they did record it in Nashville and split it into two nights. So last Tuesday, they did night number one, and this Tuesday, they're going to do night number two with the other uh, matches that were not aired. So as I said, Rebellion was actually supposed to take place April 19th from Terminal 5 in New York, and due to the coronavirus pandemic, that got canceled. So they went to Skyway Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, and did part one, this past Tuesday, and it saw Tommy Dreamer, Rhino, and their mystery partner was Crazy Steve, and they went on to defeat Ohio versus Everything, which was Dave and Jake Christ and Madman Fulton. There was a three-way tag team match where the Rascals, Dez and Wentz, ended up defeating Falabra and TJP, plus their other opponent was Triple XL, AC Romero and Larry D. There was a singles match for the X Division Championship, and Willie Mack defeated Ace Austin. So Willie Mack is now the new X Division Champion. There was a singles match featuring Kylie Ray 
taking on Kiara Hogan, and Kylie Ray picked up the victory. Then the main event of this episode saw an unsanctioned match with Ken Shamrock taking on Sammy Callahan. Shamrock ended up picking up a technical submission, which basically uh, saw the results of WrestleMania 13 with Brett and Steve Austin, where Brett had the sharpshooter on Steve, and Steve passed out and couldn't really submit, but the referee, in this case Ken Shamrock, said he couldn't continue. Well, this happened also with this match with Shamrock and Callahan, and Callahan basically passed out, so the referee called the match. So it was a technical submission. Um, obviously, they'll be carrying on with their storyline, presumably going forward on that one. But that's that's up for night number two, which will happen this Tuesday on Access Fight uh, Network here in Canada and Twitch. Night number two only has a couple of matches officially announced at the moment, and that includes Full Metal Mayhem with Havoc taking on Rosemary. There's going to be a four-way match with Rohit Raju, Chris Bay, Suicide, and Trey. And then a singles match with Joy Ryan taking on Cousin Luke. Uh, originally, Tessa Blanchard was supposed to be defending the Impact uh, World Championship, but she's had to miss the show for the taping due to not being able to travel from where she is. I believe she's in Mexico or something like that. And can't uh, get, wasn't able to get to Tennessee, so her match got cancelled. So we'll have to see also what Impact puts in its place to stretch out the show because there's only three matches, as I said, currently, and not sure what else got added to the taping. You'll be able to catch that this Tuesday on Access TV at 8 p.m. or Fight Network and Twitter, or sorry, Twitch. Hello, what is up everybody? It is Ocho from the Ocho and Ortiz Wrestling Podcast. Home to the best kept secret in the wrestling podcasting community. Our live podcast from Greektown Wrestling and Union Wrestling. We also discuss a lot of other things. WWE, AEW. Every once in a while we throw in New Japan and ROH. Be sure you're checking out our show. We are available on most major podcasts and platforms, especially on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and our main source of uploading is Podbean, ochoandortiz.podbean.com. You can also follow us on social media, at Ocho Wrestling on Twitter, at Ocho and Ortiz on Instagram, or facebook.com slash ochoandortiz. We also do have a YouTube page, so be sure you're checking out our content there. Just search for Ocho and Ortiz in the search bar. Now let's get you back to your regular programming. Now looking in at AEW, this week was being the Elite's 200th episode. It featured a full-length match of Matt and Nick Jackson going against each other, and they fought all over Nick Jackson's property. The production level was really good, and... Actually, so much so that it probably should have been saved for Double or Nothing, especially if the Young Bucks are unable to uh, be a part of that show, which is still going ahead on May 23rd. It's just not happening in Las Vegas. They haven't really announced where things are going to be done for that, but they are going to be uh, doing some more tapings in the coming days. And I think I saw that they're going to be in Florida for these ones, so probably back at Daly's place. Uh, since the floodgates are now open, uh, thanks to the governor uh, basically saying the WD and any other uh, organization like that are essential media. So I think that's why they're going to go back to Florida and Dally's place. But yeah, if for whatever reason the Young Bucks can't make it to Double or Nothing, they should have just saved this for uh, that show because it was actually that uh, good. The match uh, had uh, also some banter in there, just uh, mocking each other, you know, some trash talk, but it was fun trash talk as opposed to uh, some of the grunting and everything that you get from other uh, brawls like we've seen with uh, Gargano and Ciampa and Edge and Orton. But because these are brothers and really didn't have a feud against each other, they were somewhat just having a match for the sake of having a match. Uh, and they love competing, and Nick is trying to get back into ring shape after being taken out by the 
uh, Jericho's group. Anyways, so... So this banter actually helped uh, with any dull spots and silent moments that they avoided that. And it also had uh, Matt hitting Nick with five uh, Northern Lights suplexes on the grass. There was a Canadian destroyer into the pool off the diving board. Nick hit a swanton bomb off of the roof into uh, Matt who was laying on a table. And then also Matt had his uh, boot full of uh, loaded thumbtacks involved with that combined with everything that they did that way they also did some spots in tribute of the barbershop where Shawn Michaels put Marty Jannetty through the window ending the rockers and also the ending with Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair from uh, Flair's retirement match at Wrestlemania where Shawn said I'm sorry I love you and finished off the match um, so overall it was a very good uh, to see that they were uh, doing something in that manner. But they also left the episode wondering, is there going to be another Being the Elite uh, episode, or was number 200 the end of that? So we'll have to wait and see what happens next week or later on this week, if there's another Being the Elite, and go from there. Um, and of course, it's been rumored that the Revival, Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson, were going to be going over to AEW when they get a chance to do some live action. They have an unconditional release from WWE, so that is possible. They could uh, show up as early as the next tapings, which are supposed to be happening, I guess, this week. But they're now going by Cash Wheeler, which is Dash Wilder, and Dax Harwood, which was Scott Dawson. And they announced that they're going to be going by the revolt. So fear the revolt for the FTR. And as we know here in Ontario, there's already a team called the revolt with Alec Realm and Jordan James. So don't think they looked into that too carefully. Uh, if there's any other tag teams doing that, but apparently there's also another tag team that did speak up uh, from I believe the North Carolina area that said about them being the revolt as well. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Maybe the revolt for the, that name has been officially copyrighted by Harwood and Wilder or Wheeler, should I say? And if that's the case, then obviously if they have the copyright, then they will be the revolt, fear the revolt. Um, when they show up, ideally, as we expect, in AEW. If not, I could see them going to NWA. Looking at the results from this past week's uh, AEW Dynamite, it started off with Cody sitting at a desk, almost looking like the mystery hacker that WWE has, except for obviously we see that it is Cody. And he's running down the competition that are still left in the TNT tournament. Cody mentions the self-proclaimed Spanish god, Sammy Guevara. He comments about the murder hawk, Lance Archer. He also brings up Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford, and that they're UK paragon with pretty blue eyes. And then he talks about Darby Allen being the intangible. And of course, his uh, brother, the natural Dustin Rhodes, as being a legend. And questions who he is. Cody said, I wonder, during these pressing times, has my sword been sharpened? Or have I not answered the call? Where do I fit into all this? It really can't be future endeavors unless you actually intend to endeavor. So am I the three-star general? Made card for life? Broke the throne because I'm afraid to sit in it? You hear something enough times and it starts to get comfortable like, an, like old leather. Am I comfortable? Am I scattered in my role? I'm going to meet one of these men in the semifinals, and I need to answer the call. All these men could be champion. There's plenty of will in this tournament. Now, we find out who has enough of it. 
So after that, uh, we end up going to Tony Schiavone and Chris Jericho, who are running down the card for the evening, which includes two first-round matches of the TNT tournament. And the first one starts right off the bat with Sammy Guevara of the Inner Circle taking on Darby Allen. The winner of this match actually will be facing Cody in the semifinals. And we start off with the uh, match. And as Darby Allen was making his way to the ring, Sammy Guevara jumped him and started beating him up outside the ring before the match could even start. They end up fighting all around into the barricades. They get uh, Sammy Guevara got a ladder out and placed Darby on top, climbed to the top and splashed through, but the ladder didn't break. You could see one of the guys who were sitting at ringside, one of the uh, local talent, just in shock that it uh, didn't break. And they end up going to the commercial. And when we come back, that's when the actual match officially starts with Aubrey Edwards ringing the bell. Guevara immediately went for the cover and Darby was able to kick out. Sammy then went after Darby's arms and stomped on uh, his head. And Sammy propped Darby up into the top turnbuckle, but Darby was able to fight back. And at one point, Darby was able to get uh, Guevara's boot off and put him in an ankle lock. And so the rest of the match, Sammy Guevara was wrestling with one boot on and a bare foot. There was a few attempts at a ankle lock uh, by Darby onto Sammy's bare foot. And Sammy uh, was able to fight out of that. He even uh, was able to muster up enough strength to uh, get up to the top rope and hit Darby with a 630 splash. Then he went for a GTS, but it was uh, countered by the Last Supper, and Darby Allen pinned Sammy Guevara to move on to the semifinals of the TNT tournament. Then we take a trip to the Hardy compound, and Broken Matt Hardy addresses Chris Jericho, saying that he is yet to hear from the challenge that he put out to have Jericho come to the compound. And all he saw was the bubbly bunch, and the only person willing to say Matt Hardy's name was Sammy Guevara. And he even welcomed Sammy Guevara to come to the Hardy compound to take the beating that Chris Jericho is not willing to acknowledge. Then he discovered that maybe the reason why Jericho didn't bring up his name is because he can't wrap his mind around the broken Matt Hardy and decided to switch to the unkillable Matt Hardy. And we saw basically regular Matt Hardy, his hair pulled back in a leather jacket, so not the broken version that we uh, see with the hair frizzy and crazy eyes going on for him. And he then talked about how Chris is jealous of him, worried about uh, the elite being around, and states that AEW is not for Jericho or Hardy. It's for the future of the business and the younger talent. And he continues to welcome Sammy Guevara to come to the compound and saying that he's going to kick Sammy Guevara's ass, uh, even though he's an amazing talent. And then he'll go after every member of the inner circle until he gets to Chris. And that's his ultimate plan, is to get to Chris Jericho and kick his ass. Then we had the cleaner, Kenny Omega, who's one half of the AEW Tag Team Champions, in action against Southpaw serial killer, Alan Angels. Um... Pretty much a squash match. Angels did get some offense in, but uh, Kenny hit two V-triggers to get the victory. Then we saw a video of Scorpio Sky and somewhat just getting a background story of uh, Sky and how he uh, was almost having to retire back in 2008, but then, you know, things changed with his life and was able to do things. He's doing it in honor of his mother who passed away. And yeah, so he's been in SCU since December of 2017 with uh, Kazarian and Daniels and yeah I guess they're somewhat doing a Jeff Hardy story with Scorpio Sky and we're going to get a couple more vignettes or at least one more next week. The next match was Jimmy Havoc taking on Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy had best friends with him 
and eventually throughout everything that happened um Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian did get involved with this whole thing but with the craziness that was going on between the best friends Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian Orange Cassidy was able to roll up Jimmy Havoc for the victory and then Havoc and uh, Sabian double teamed Orange Cassidy after the match but then the best friends ran them off so next week we're going to have a match involving all these guys so then we go over to MJF's house and he gives an update on his condition and with the coronavirus going on he hasn't been on TV and you know it's also an issue where he got injured while gambling uh the last time he was at Dynamite and throwing cash he got a hangnail and toughed it out but it became life-threatening and almost career-ending. And he's assuring everybody he's going to rise up like a phoenix and come back to AEW and become the world champion because he's not only better than you, you also know it. So that was our update on MJF. After that, Wardlow ended up destroying a local guy named Lee Johnson. Then we saw a package of the Dark Order and Mr. Brody interviewing a new recruit for the Dark Order and he says that he understood where the person was coming from and frustrations and made it seem as though it was one of the recently released talent from WWE but I uh, can't think of his real name is Pre- Preston something I don't have it in front of me at the moment but it's some other uh, talent who's joining AEW that was not from WWE. This new guy, Preston, is given a uh, mask. He is now known as number 10 and even has like uh, 10 markings on his chest to reveal that he is number 10. Then Mr. Brody came out and went against a competitor named Justin Law. He destroyed Justin Law with a discus lariat in no time but then was paying attention to Marco Stunt, who was also in the area at Riggside, and stared him down and sized him up, but Marco didn't back down, which may or may not be a mistake on Marco Stunt's part. They did another edition of the Bubbly Bunch, and Sammy Guevara was feeling down, and everybody tried to cheer him up, and they did a Flam Flam video, and there was a competition to get a bottle of hand sanitizer, and Sammy Guevara ended up winning. This led to our main event, which was Super Bad Kip Sabian, accompanied by Penelope Ford, taking on Dustin Rhodes, the natural. Um, Brandy was with him, and this was uh, the final match in the first round of the TNT Championship Tournament. Dustin had also said that if he doesn't win against Sabian, he was going to be retiring from this. So there was a lot on the line, advancing in the tournament, and the winner of this match gets to go against the murder hawk, Lance Archer, next week. This match went back and forth, and Kip Sabian then, near the ending, hit a swinging DDT off the second rope. Dustin kicked out at two, and Kip got on top of Dustin and was hitting him uh, from above. Aubrey Edwards had to pull him off, and while Aubrey was distracted and admonishing Kip Sabian, Penelope tried to interfere, but Brandy ended up slapping Penelope. Kip quickly went over to see what happened to Penelope, and that's when Dustin used the opportunity to hit with a Code Red Canadian Destroyer and scored the victory to advance into the next round, which he will see Lance Archer in. And that was how the uh, show ended. They did announce that Best Friends and Orange Cassie will take on Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc in an ODQ uh, match next week. Finishing off the AEW section, here are the rankings for this week as of April 24th. Looking at the tag team division, the Lucha Brothers are sitting at number 5 with a 1-2 and two record. At number 4, with a 2-3 and three record is SCU, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky. The Best Friends hold the number 3 position with a 4-3 and three record. At number 2, uh, even 500, 2-2, two two, the Young Bucks. At number 1, still 
with a five and nothing uh, point total, the Dark Order, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson. Tag team champions at six and zero are Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Looking at the women's rankings, at number five with a three and three record is Riho. At number four, also with a three and three record, is Doctor Britt Baker. At number three, with a one and one standing, Yuka Sakasaki. At number two, with a two and three record, Chris Statlander. And at number one, with a seven and one record, Hikaru Shida. And your champion is Nyla Rose, sitting with a four and one record. And finally, your men's rankings. At number five, with a four and one record, Jake Hager. With a perfect three and O record, at number four, the Murder Hawk, Lance Archer. At number three, with a five and two record, is Darby Allen. With a perfect four and O record, at number two is Kenny Omega. And at number one, with a seven and one record, Cody. Your champion, with a nine and O record, is John Moxley. These are your rankings as of April twenty fourth. If you're looking for a great independent wrestling happening in our province of Ontario, look no further than Ontario Indie Road Trip. It's available on Facebook and YouTube, and we run down all the great events happening in this province. Whether you get in a car, bus, or train, there's a show near you. Support independent wrestling and the Ontario Indie Road Trip. Let's check out what's going on with WWE and their lead-up to Money in the Bank and some news and results. I'm going to start off with the fact that Oliver Luck was the former XFL commissioner. He's trying to sue Vince McMahon for wrongful termination. Apparently, he was fired or let go from his job the day before XFL ended up filing for bankruptcy. Now, he was one of the original hires in 2018 when Vince decided to start Alpha Media and start up the XFL again. He's done a wonderful job, or who knows what kind of job he actually did do, but he did uh, fill his role up until the time that the XFL needed to close. Now, he's trying to sue for wrongful termination. Meanwhile, there is no league or anything to exist. Nobody has a job for that matter. So my take on it basically looks like he's trying to get in there and sue Vince where he hopes to get actual more money for the remainder of his contract rather than the possible pennies on the dollar that he would receive from whatever uh, compensation he was already given but also pennies on the dollar for the bankruptcy part of the XFL. So I wish the guy luck, but I don't see it happening because there is no existing league to be suing anyway. So he's going to be just part of the whole bankruptcy uh, resolution in the end. Then apparently there was a report uh, that somebody named John sent Orange County Board of county commissioners a anonymous letter claiming that he and other WD employees are being forced to work at the WD shows for Raw, SmackDown, NXT and everything else and he's requesting that the government step in to shut down the WWE and the this person is doing it this way and anonymously because they are fearing for their job. WD responded saying that these accusations aren't true. Employees know that they can confidentially go to uh, human resources and not be uh, go to the public. Plus, well, notwithstanding the appropriate protocol, no one would be fired if they uh, were uncomfortable with their surroundings. Uh, that WWE has made accommodations for individuals upon the request. Which brings another thing up, which was said that apparently WWE is not mentioning Roman Reigns' name and that Roman has heat on him and everything for not doing WrestleMania, but he showed up. And, of course, yes, last minute he had to change because of The Miz suddenly getting sick 
and he feared for his own well-being. And they quickly pulled an audible and threw in Braun Strowman. As we know, Strowman is now the champion defeating Goldberg. But my take on it is that Roman Reigns not being mentioned on WWE TV right now will make for a bigger pop when he is able to return and be in front of a crowd because I doubt we're going to see him until that day that everybody feels comfortable and are out in public and there's an arena full of screaming fans and then you're going to hear the music of the big dog. But until then, as long as they're doing isolation and just those shows at the Performance Center, you're not going to see Roman Reigns. He also announced that his wife is expecting twins. So he has a lot of things on his mind health-wise, his wife's health, and the arrival of his uh, two new children. So not mentioning Roman Reigns is okay because, as I said, it's going to be a big pop when he returns. Speaking of people we probably won't be seeing much more on WDTV for, and that is Rob Gronkowski. He apparently had retired from the Patriots and the NFL to join the WWE. Uh, we saw him on SmackDown being signed, being uh, assigned the hosting deal for WrestleMania. We saw him on the platform a couple times. We saw him dive off the platform and become the 24-7 champion. And that was the last we saw of him. Now, all of a sudden, he's decided to come out of retirement, go back to the NFL. The Patriots then traded him to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's now reunited with Tom Brady before either of them uh, stepped foot onto a field in Tampa Bay, and they're back together. WWE has congratulated him on his return. They are not stripping him of the title, but noted that the title can be defended any place, anytime, anywhere by, against anyone. So it's only a matter of time before they film something where if the Patriots, I mean, sorry, if the Buccaneers are practicing or something and they're finally able to do that, then you're going to have a WD camera along with probably R-Truth sneaking up on Gronkowski and taking the title. If not, it'll be Mojo. But either way, somebody's going to take the title off of Gronk, and that'll be the last time we see him. WD did their investors uh, meeting on Thursday at 5 p.m., and Vince was actually pretty confident in what's going on, gave a lot of assurance. Uh, they only had like two weeks, maybe three at most, of the pandemic affecting their business. But with everything all looked at, they are actually ahead, I think I saw $26 million or something like that, 260 could be missing a decimal point somewhere, um, but they are uh, really good off that way, and though nothing really got brought up about the XFL, actually it didn't get mentioned even once during the call, but they were able to assure people really well what was going on, and even with the pandemic, they talked uh, briefly about what they're doing at the Performance Center, the cleaning. Um, yeah, obviously it was enough that as of closing on Friday, the stock went up 15% and closed at 44.79. So if you're a stockholder and we're happy with what Vince said, then yeah, I can see the things going back up. We talked about this on uh, Thursday Night Throwdown uh, briefly. And part of the reason why the stock did plummet the way it was, was after getting rid of Barrios and Williams. They, a lot of people don't have faith in where the ship is being directed. So I think if WWE were able to put somebody permanently in their position, that would be a great help uh, with the stock. And, you know, with the unfortunate releases, the great uh, things with the numbers for their TV deals... Unfortunately, being at the Performance Center isn't helping, but they were losing money also on house shows. So when everything gets back to being the new normal and business resumes in a arena setting, it should be interesting to find out if we're going to get house shows ever again or if their business is just going to be strictly TV. 
might be better for the talent not having to travel five days a week and being home a day and a half um yeah uh, unfortunately uh takes away from lower level talent who need the in-ring presence to get uh work on those house shows but yeah it'll be a different structure once everything comes back to the new normal the uh, second quarter uh, numbers should be also interesting because not only do you have the numbers that possibly came from ESPN and now Fox with the uh, extra bonus features that they're doing with replays of uh, WrestleManias and the best ofs leading into uh, backstage uh, Tuesday nights on FS1, but We'll also see the numbers officially for WrestleMania since that happened on April 5th. We'll see what the exact uh, damage has been happening with the fact that they're not in arena settings. If they're losing money that way by just doing uh, empty arena or empty gym uh, shows. But the next uh, investors meeting should be definitely interesting in numbers and see what happens with the uh, stock price, and what people think about the releases. Then also the other night it came out that Patrick Clark, also known as Velveteen Dream, has some allegations brought up against him that he sent inappropriate photos uh, to minors uh, through Instagram. And he responded with a statement, Be assured I did not communicate inappropriately with anyone. A private photo of mine was shared without my consent, or knowledge, and I am working with a third party to look into this matter. So, yeah, obviously, it was one of those uh, nude photos that wrestlers and other celebrities love to take, but dimly just let hang out in a cloud or share with somebody, and somebody end up sharing it. And so I'm just going to put Velveteen Dream in just a little bit of a precarious position, but... You know, look at what happened with Seth Rollins once that was figured out when a photo of him uh, surfaced like that, and even Paige. So, while it's shocking and, you know, a little controversial at the time, and it gets some uh, headlines, they're able to come out the other side. So, Velveteen Dream might be off for a slight bit while they figure this out, or they might just be business as usual for him. Now, normally I'd run down, just like I did a moment ago, the uh, results for AEW. I would run down the results for all the shows that happened in WWE this week. Instead, I'm just basically going to give you some highlights that happened this week on WWE TV. Since they have, like, what is it, seven hours at least that they're on every week. That's a lot to review. Uh, but... Drew McIntyre started off Raw uh, issuing a challenge to Seth Rollins to meet him for the championship at Money in the Bank. Then there was a Money Bank qualifier where Oscar Black uh, defeated Austin Theory to enter into the men's uh, Money in the Bank. Selena Vega was on commentary. There was even a confrontation between the two, uh, meaning Aleister Black and Selena Vega, which didn't seem awkward even though they're married and on opposite sides. But, yeah, Aleister Black ended up getting the victory that way. Shayna Baszler uh, then ended up destroying another, uh, I guess, member of the NXT lower roster, uh, one of the students, uh, Indy Hartwell. And she even put uh, Hartwell's arm into a ladder and kicked it. But it was over in no time flat. Then we got the team of Ricochet and Cedric Alexander taking on Shane Thorne and Brandon uh, Vink. Alexander and Ricochet picked up the victory, and they're starting to click really well as a team that they've wanted to team together for a long time. This is where it got a little bit ill in the show, because even I cringed a couple times. Nia Jax took on Carrie Zane. There was talk that the, uh, last week that Carrie lost to Nia because of the size difference, and what was going to change this week? Well... Carrie Zane didn't grow anywhere uh, in seven days. And Nia Jax just threw Carrie Zane around like a rag doll. Whether Carrie Zane was hurt or if any of this was botched, 
by Nia Jax is yet to be determined. Haven't heard anything either way, but it did optically look really bad, especially with a buckle bomb that, if you play back the audio, it sounds like Carrie's saying that she was not ready, not set, something on that line, and then she got launched into the corner and didn't get the top turnbuckle. She hit on the bottom turnbuckle and just crumpled. And she continued the fight and ended up losing, of course. But a lot of speculation whether or not Nia was just being really bad and rough and botched things or not. Then we had Apollo Crews taking on MVP for a qualifying match for the Money in the Bank. And Apollo Crews has advanced into that. Liv Morgan defeated Ruby Riot, So hopefully that looks like that's the end of these two feuding with each other. With Sarah Logan being gone, but Sarah Logan had been thought about being on the uh, original script for this week's Raw. Somehow a quick write uh, out did that because we know that she's released. But she's up in the air whether or not she's going to be brought back or not. Rey Mysterio ended up defeating uh, Murphy to qualify for the Money in the Bank ladder match as well. And Charlotte Flair totally destroyed uh, Caden Carter. Uh, in their women's match they had. Andrade defeated Akira Tozawa. And that was still a good showing by Tozawa. But they're still trying to build up. Selena Vega, Akira. I mean Andrade and the other members of her squad. Bianca Belair defeated Santara Garrett. Now I could be wrong but. Bianca looks like she's still doing the heel role that she had in NXT. And the Street Profits were at the commentating table. And they're kind of obnoxious. Almost as though they have turned heel with her by their, their side. As opposed to still being baby faces. And this would allow the Viking Raiders to be the baby face when they collide. And that's another reason why I could see Sarah Logan being back. Because... She's married to one of the Viking Raiders, just like Bianca Belair is married to one of the Street Profits. And the main event saw Drew McIntyre defeat Angel Garza. And that's another one of Zelina Vega's men going down. Over on NXT, it was supposed to be Velveteen Dream taking on Finn Balor. But there was some sort of altercation, I guess, backstage. Uh, whether it was legit or uh, just storyline-wise. And Finn Balor did not take part. So Velveteen Dream came out and was talking about it. Keith Lee had to make the save uh, against Undisputed Era. And that set up the main event. Then Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez defeated Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart. Jake Atlas defeated Drake Maverick in an interim NXT Cruiserweight title tournament uh, match for Group A. A uh, really good match, but as we know, Drake Maverick is not with WWE officially since he was let go, but he's fulfilling his uh, booking, I guess, and trying to prove himself in his last couple matches, whether that happens or not, that he gets brought back. But he is definitely at least trying to put on a good show for them and maybe get uh, a reprieve from the firing. Then we also had uh, Kushida defeat Tony Nese in a Group A uh, matchup. Mia Yim defeated Jesse Kami. And then uh, after the match, Mia Yim was confronted by uh, NXT Women's Champion Charlotte Flair. And they're set to have a bout against each other next week as Charlotte had actually called out Mia Yim. As the person she'd like to face. And then. El Hijo uh, del Fantasma. Defeated. Gentleman Jack Gallagher. In a uh, group B. Tournament matchup. And in the main event. Saw Velveteen Dream and Dexter Loomis. Uh, defeat Adam Cole. And Roderick Strong. Of the Undisputed Era. So Dexter Loomis uh, got to end up doing a main event for uh, NXT. And it was supposed to actually be uh, Keith Lee uh, part of that match. But then Damian Priest got 
involved and hit uh, Lee in the throat with a nightstick. So that's when uh, Dexter Loomis came in to fill in for Lee and teamed with Velveteen Dream. Then over at SmackDown this week, they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of Triple H. There's plenty of uh, activity with that going on uh, this whole week. If you uh, catch Corey Graves' podcast, After the Bell, and also The Bump, uh, there's a lot of Triple H coverage that way. Over on SmackDown, though, for the results, King Corbin defeated Drew Gulak to be part of the Money in the Bank match. The men still have one more uh, open spot that will be filled this week with either Otis or Dolph Ziggler, and that will complete the SmackDown side of things. Sheamus defeated uh, Daniel Vidit. Um, after that, there was a video, the third uh, part of Jeff Hardy's redemption story, and Sheamus stayed around for that and heard Michael Cole talking about Jeff Hardy's redemption story. And it looks like Seamus is definitely jealous of Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy getting the attention and he's going to go after Jeff. Then the Lucha House Party, who had earlier in the evening uh, interrupted the Forgotten Sons and New Day and they had a whole big brawl over that uh, with the tag team titles. Uh, they scheduled to go against Miz and Morrison and the Lucha House Party actually defeated Miz and Morrison and that Lacey Evans then defeated Sasha Banks uh, in a qualifying match. The women also have another opportunity to fill, or another space to fill over on SmackDown for the uh, Money in the Bank ladder match. And that'll be determined, I think, next week uh, involving Carmella and Mandy Rose. So that uh, side of things with women will be uh, completed that way. But yeah, after uh, the match, Bailey got involved in the uh, proceedings and Sasha Banks appeared to be leaving. And as they got to the top of the ramp, Nia Jax ended up coming out and kicking uh, Bailey in the face. So that's setting up for their uh, women's match at Money in the Bank. And the final match of the night saw Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defeat Carmella and Dana Brooke to retain the uh, Women's Tag Team Championships. Then the show ended with a celebration for Triple H, and Shawn Michaels was there uh, roasting Triple H. Vince ended up coming out and roasting uh, Triple H as well. And yeah, it was just really awkward. A couple of uh, cell phone uh, call-ins from Flair, Stephanie, and Road Dog. And yeah, that's where it all ended for uh, SmackDown and WD this week. So all this leading to WD Money in the Bank, which is going to happen on Sunday, May 10th. And it's happening from Stamford, Connecticut at the global headquarters for WWE. Now, this is going to be a lot different than other years. They've labeled it climbing the corporate ladder. They haven't really described what is going to happen with it other than the fact that they're going to start on the main floor and have to work their way up. I guess there's seven floors, including parking all the way to the roof where there is a ring and a structure with the uh, money in the bank briefcase dangling from it. Now myself, I would love to see it that both can, uh, matches happen at the same time. So that we don't have to try and see one with the women and then the guys have to go through and it's already been destroyed or they've cleaned up the headquarters and destroy it again. Imagine if all 12 are going at the same time and not interacting with each other as far as getting physical, uh, men versus women, because I know WD isn't too keen on that whole uh, thing with the uh, intergender wrestling. But it would save having to see the same thing twice if it all happened at the same time. So I'm hoping that they kind of do that. Um, at the same time, the rest of the card is uh, taking form. And we have Braun Strowman defending the Universal Championship against Bray Wyatt. Bailey is defending her SmackDown Women's Championship against Tamina. And Drew McIntyre is defending the WWE Championship against Seth Rollins. As far as the ladder matches go, each one is going to have five, I mean, six competitors in it. 
five have already been determined. And so with the women, it has Asuka, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and on Friday, we'll find out if Mandy Rose or Carmilla are the sixth member of the women's match. Over on the men's side, they have Daniel Bryan, Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, Apollo Crews, King Corbin, and either Otis or Dolph Ziggler. Of course, we're going to get a few more matches uh, set up uh, to fill out the rest of the card because it's not just going to be five uh, matches to it, but we'll uh, see what happens along the way and how many are done at the Performance Center and how many have been done at the corporate headquarters. Uh, There's also talk that this match has already been recorded and they're just editing it and it'll look like uh, movie style on the same uh, style as maybe Undertaker and the Johnny Gargano uh, matches uh, that NXT and WrestleMania had. So if we get a happy meeting between them, I know some people have thought that this might also look like a little bit like Die Hard. So if they have some fun with it, get creative. This will be definitely one of the most unique Money in the Bank ladder matches ever in the history of the WWE. And yeah. Thank you once again for joining me for episode 102 of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. Be sure to like and share it, whether you're listening to us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Also, be on the lookout on our Facebook page to see how you can be a part of Jonesy's Wrestling Trivia Challenge. We're setting up a game show involving wrestling trivia, just like Jeopardy. And we'll have a tournament with an ultimate winner in the end. That's Jonesy's Wrestling Trivia Challenge. And find out more details on our Facebook page, The Scumbags of Wrestling. So until next week, have a great one. Unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last.